Welcome back to another episode of The Mentors. This is Sergey and Vadim, and this is a show where we provide insights into how entrepreneurs and creators get their ventures off the ground to help them overcome obstacles faced in the critical early days. We have a really fantastic guest for you guys today. Charlie Hohen is a three-time published author, including a book called Play It Away, which talks about dealing with anxiety and overcoming burnout. He's also host of the podcast called Author Hour, where he interviews notable authors. He's very well known for having been an employee for Timothy Ferris, of course, of the Tim Ferris podcast. Uh, and author of 4-Hour Workweek, 4-Hour Body, 4-Hour Chef, more recently, Tools of Titans. Charlie Hohen has also had the opportunity to work with some amazing entrepreneurs like Ramit Sethi, founder of I Will Teach You To Be Rich, and of course, Tucker Max of I Hope They Serve Beer in Hell. Charlie Hohen has been featured on Business Insider, CBS, Financial Times, and more. And in this interview, we get to talk about a lot of very, very interesting topics, including um, what efforts to focus on in terms of marketing in the early days of starting a business. We dive into techniques that Tim Ferriss used to market his books. We talk about how to make things go viral, and we even tackle the issue of how to overcome anxiety. This was an incredible interview with a lot of interesting takeaways, not only hopefully for our audience, but certainly for myself and Sergey. And now here's our interview with Charlie Hohen. Throw back to you. I mean, you know, in those early days, how much time do you think you need to spend on generating a product or working on the creation itself, the asset versus, um, you know, or when do you get started in the marketing and what are some of the first activities that you can do when you're getting started? If you don't know anything in the early days, kind of the, the balance I think that needs to be had is if, if you can get your product or, or even an early prototype of your idea in front of at least 10 people who already kind of know you or like you or trust you. And they're the, the ideal type of person you want to be catering to. If you can get it in front of them, and them using it and them basically either trying to pay you or finding them passing it along to friends of theirs or telling friends of theirs or talking about it, um, asking more questions about it with a sincere excitement and interest, then you're, then you're in good shape. Like that is, um, an invaluable process that basically everyone skips because it's way more fun to, to work on your thing and, and to enjoy the act of creation than it is to potentially be shot down or told something's not good enough. But it's, you have to do that. It's funny that you, what you just said. Um, so we, we just released an episode today with a woman that started a soap company and she went through the same exact process that you mentioned, which is she literally just went to 16 of her friends they bought a, her it's it's a natural organic soap they told um their friends about it and they told and their those friends told her friend their friends about it and it had started having this kind of word of mouth effect that she did not intend and she sold more in 2 weeks than she planned to sell in 2 months um so i love that you said that because we literally uh it's almost validating the experience that she went through but you know once you go through that initial let's say friends family or 
let's say you've already kind of identified who your target customer might be, you know, especially early stage entrepreneurs, if they're first time entrepreneurs, but especially younger people that don't have any experience with marketing. A lot of times I feel like marketing feels like, um, this big behemoth and this sort of abyss and you don't know what to do or what to focus on. And of course, the answer is going to change depending on what kind of product that you have. But how do you know what to do next, uh, whether it's educating yourself um, about what would make sense for your market or maybe you can shed some light on what you think works now um, better than before? I mean, yeah. Mm. Man, that's a good question. So I want to answer that um, but it, to add on to your example of, of the woman who was selling the soap, uh, a similar thing happened to a friend of mine um, where, it, and, and you guys work in the VC realm, so you'll appreciate this. He was pitching investors and he kept getting turned down uh, for his company to, ra to raise money. And after each meeting, though, he would ask, what would you guys need to see from this in order to say yes? And after each round of feedback, he would go back to it, make those changes, pitch another round of investors. I think he ended up pitching like over 50 investors, but got feedback every single time and made small iterations until it was the perfect pitch deck. He raised a ton of money. So I, I think in, in going back to this idea of, putting this in front of people, getting their feedback, seeing, seeing how they respond. I mean, this, this is how a friend of mine developed over 70 apps in the app store. He would develop a prototype and then he would hand it to somebody and say, what do you think of this? And he would give them no explanation. And he would just watch their facial expression and have them talk him through it and then make adjustments based on that. And so I think I, I can't overstate the importance of getting this early feedback from people and making sure that your product has sort of the marketing baked into it, right? And this is kind of the foundational aspect is if your product doesn't have the marketing baked into it, if it's not something that people are willing to hand over their money for, that they're motivated to, to hand over their money for right then and there, or they're motivated to tell their friends, then there's no marketing baked into it. And any marketing that you do after that is going to feel like rolling a boulder up a hill, right? So it, it, I, can't, I really can't overemphasize the importance of that before we go on to the next point of what should they be focusing on getting better in terms of marketing. The best marketing you can do is build something that markets itself. I love that. Um, and I think another a point that you uh, mentioned that I want to point out to our audience is that, uh, and essentially what you're talking about here is actually not just a marketing skill, but a sales skill, having the ability to come up to someone, even people you know, and get feedback from them, I think takes uh, some experience or, or at least takes some um, uh, tenacity, I should say. But um, one important thing is that the example that you mentioned, this individual, your friend, actually showed something visual or something physical. People oftentimes 
if you just ask them whether they would use something or not, they are not really going to give you an honest answer. Not that they're trying to lie to you, but they just don't really know unless they have something to react to. So that's a piece of advice that we always give to entrepreneurs is create even a visual prototype. If you can't, if you don't have good design skills, do it in Microsoft Paint by copying and and uh, I don't even know if Microsoft Paint exists anymore. <laughs> uh, copying and pasting uh, different visuals, but have something for people to react to. Actually, a cool tool for that is Proto.io um, that lets you create free mm -hmm. prototypes for mobile apps. But um, I love that example. You mentioned that the product should have the marketing baked in. Do you have any examples from your own personal launches that you've done? Maybe, uh, maybe your latest book, Play for a Living, uh, that actually included marketing within the product or had some sort of component in, the, in there that made it easy to, to market? Yeah, so with Play for a Living, um, I I just wanted to make a, a product that creatives could really get behind and own, feel like they had some ownership. So what I did was I worked with 50 artists around the world, had them uh, contribute art pieces that I then featured in a book, and they got to create art of their heroes. And so they have ownership of that. And so now I have 50 people who uh, can show that to their art friends and they can show it to their parents and say, look, mom and dad, uh, the, the lifestyle I've been living is valid, right? That's the message of the book is that a creative uh, way of, of work, which is play, is, is a very valid way of, of approaching their career. Um, <clears throat> The guy that I, I learned the most uh, about this from is obviously Tim Ferriss, uh, who's, who's a master at baking marketing into the product, um, all the way from his titles and his subtitles to the chapter headings. Tim was always very focused on giving uh, people what they were highly motivated uh, to get, the information that they, they really wanted and delivering it as a recipe so that they could follow the formula and get the results as, as close as he promised. So for instance, um, one of his most popular posts is about how to lose 20 pounds of fat over the course of 30 days without exercise. And he lays out some specific rules of how to eat uh, the slow carb diet. And it works really well and consistently and that has marketing baked into the product because the reader literally physically transforms over the course of a month. And so you have people asking, what the hell happened? And uh, so the marketing is basically coming to them and it's being pulled out of them. Well, I tried the slow carb diet and it got me these phenomenal results. Um, so he, he was really, really good about that. And I mean, Dropbox has become known as kind of uh, one of the gold standards of, of doing this is um, if, if you use our product and share our product with your friends, you win. Uber was the same way. It grew in, in much the same way. Can, can the person who used your product, product brag about it to their friends? Does it elevate their status? Can they slide their phone across the table and say, look what I just did. I just have to button and a black limousine car is going to pull up in three minutes. You know, so if, if you have something that your audience not only is highly motivated for looking for solutions for, um, but also elevates their status after they use it, that's, that's great marketing built in. 
I love that elevates its status. That's a great quote. And uh, funny enough, I obviously uh, have all of Tim's books and I've done the slow carb diet myself and lost 20 pounds of fat. Um, and that's exactly what I was doing is I, my friends would be like, well, what did you do that was different? I said, honestly, I ate a good amount, but I just took out the carbs, the bad carbs, uh, and, um, you know, exercise consistently as well. But, um, I, I told everybody that I could about it. So that word of mouth marketing clearly helped. And I know, uh, I know two of my friends, uh, for a fact bought the four hour body because of my word of mouth marketing. <laughs> so, um, you're, you're absolutely there you right. Go. But graphs, by the way, that's awesome. Thank you. No, I appreciate it. Keeping it off, of course, is uh, is the is the other challenge. <laughs> um, right. Perhaps the cheat day. But um, but you know, w when you're doing something like writing a book, like Play for a Living, you know, there's a lot of upfront work involved. You had to find the 50 artists. You had to come up with the concept of the book. Um, how do you know if you should be investing all this time or sort of what else can you do with something like this where you have to kind of come up with a product um, before it's fully validated and invest a lot of time up front? I mean, how did you know? Were there any indicators early on? I guess you already had an, uh, a couple other books out as well, but uh, were there any indicators early on that this sort of model would work for you for the new book? Yeah, so it's a great question, and I'll I'll simultaneously answer your previous question, which is what what can um, entrepreneurs be focusing on to get better at marketing? Um, the the big skill for marketers is listening and empathy for for people is paying attention to to what their problems are. Are they motivated enough to search for solutions and are they motivated enough to pay for those solutions, right? Or are there few perceived options out there, right? So with, with Play for a Living, Play for a Living is a little bit different of a situation because I, I honestly considered it a, a passion project. I didn't necessarily expect it to come to fruition uh, because it was just kind of a, a, a challenge, and it was it was a book. I, I know this goes against everything I'm saying, but this was this was a book I wanted to exist for myself first and foremost. This is not what I advise uh, first-time authors, uh, entrepreneurs to do. I advise them to focus on what it, what is the problem that they've solved in their life that other people are trying to solve as well what what are other uh, clients of theirs customers of theirs trying to solve and can you deliver that solution to them as efficiently as possible because I, I like to think of products in terms of um, at least with it with stuff like books as obstacles to your customers desired end state right I, I the customer if they could would snap their fingers and eliminate the problem but instead they have to go through your product in order to get there so can you build a product that delivers the desired end state as efficiently pleasantly as delightfully as possible and uh, that's that's just generally kind of how I think of it and and listening to your customers, the, the point there is you have to pay attention to how they describe things. Um, 
you, it, it's always shocking, and I'm sure you guys have experienced this as well, as much as you think you know your market, who you're serving, what, how they, they view the problem, how it's affecting their life, it's always surprising to hear them describe what they're going through and, and how they're going through it. You know, I'll give you an example. Um, several years ago, I wrote a blog post called How I Cured My Anxiety. And the post, to my surprise, did really well. It went viral. And it's still number one on Google today if you search for anxiety cure. And um, so I get a lot of people coming to me uh, needing help with anxiety. And this is something that they're often ashamed of. In, in struggling with, and uh, also paranoid uh, about potential solutions put in front of them because that's their state. They're afraid. So in hearing, I, I've, I've surveyed a lot of them, and I was always surprised at what, what led to that situation, how they described it themselves. A lot of women, um, for instance, focus very much on the physical sensations. They hated the physical sensations and they acknowledged that it was anxiety. A lot of the men uh, described it as, as burnout and not necessarily anxiety, or they would describe panic attacks as being their worst. So listening to the customer, hearing them out, hearing how they describe it gives you a better sense of uh, when, when you are on, on needing to sell the product, you can describe it exactly in their terms and they feel like, man, this, this person is, is reading my mind. They know exactly what I'm going through and the sale is much easier. Yeah, it's, uh, it's so true that you have no idea how the market, how your customers will react until you talk to them. So avoiding talking to them is a huge mistake because you, you, you have to be building for people that are actually going to buy it. So that's huge. hundred percent agree. You, you mentioned that, that article that you wrote about anxiety, uh, just because I know our audience will be curious about it. I know that, uh, some people think that perhaps virality can be engineered, but I don't think that it can. Can you tell us really quickly what you did when you posted that article? Did you just post it on your blog and send it to your newsletter and call it a day? Or did you do something else to try to, uh, to try to spread the word a little bit about it. I, I truthfully, this will sound a little bit like a cop out. It was, it was truly a surprise. Um, it was one of the better things I'd written and I wrote it because I couldn't find uh, any good online articles at the time of people describing their situation that I could really relate to in a way that was authentic and in a way that didn't involve going to a therapist or getting pills or whatever. And it's pretty cool now because on YouTube, you have a lot of people who have these sort of anxiety confessionals things. They, they describe their situation. They describe what works for them. At the time in 2013, there, was, there weren't a lot of great resources online. So I got lucky in that people really liked it because uh, it was unique. It was a different perspective. Um, it, it, so to answer your broader question of how can you engineer viral, I think you have to come in, come in with something unique, right? You have to have a unique 
fresh voice or a, a different perspective. Um, I saw this recently with a, a different article that I wrote about uh, the, the mass shootings uh, after, after Vegas happened. Um, I, I wrote about a different angle than what was being talked about. Everybody was talking about guns. And so I talked about not the media, not guns. I talked about uh, men, men and our culture in the United States and growing up often in isolation, loneliness, being deprived of play, not having healthy ways of dealing with shame, that sort of thing. I talked about the emotional health of men in the US and that really isn't talked about a whole lot. It's talked about as mental health, people are crazy and stuff. So I came with something different that people could get behind. Um, so I, th I think that's the big thing uh, in terms of other, other ways to engineer virality, if you look at the topics that are going viral, the things that people are already talking a lot about, and you can come in and kind of give your own unique twist to it, and obviously have something that's high quality, you have a much greater chance of engineering that. And in both of those cases, I truly just put it up and shared it with my list and that was enough timing timing plays a big role in the second one but that was that was all i did yeah i, I agree 100 percent. i just wanted to touch on really quickly what you just said which is have a unique voice that's incredibly important uh funny enough i uh so i was on reddit um a couple days ago and, uh, and i found this thread called how not how not to give a fuck <laughs> and um you know, everybody there was talking about how they're um, nervous approaching people in public and whether it's women or at a networking event or whatever. And, uh, you know, I realized what had helped me in the past is just doing it right without thinking and overthinking it too much. So I wrote a quick little post on Reddit about the three second rule of not giving a fuck. And second one, make eye contact. Second two, come over to somebody. And second three, just say hi. Uh, don't overthink it because if you let your brain think too much, you'll overhype yourself and you'll come up with excuses not to do it. And next thing I know, it has several hundred upvotes and thousands of views. And I, you know, I had no idea. I just kind of posted it up there in the public domain. But because it was unique and because the message was delivered to that particular thread in a different way than they were used to seeing, um, it spread. And so you're, you're 100% right. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I, I love that. I, can I add a couple more things that can that can really add some juice to <laughs> making things go viral? I would love that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So in addition to having kind of a unique perspective, I think there there are a few other things. So one is the storytelling. Stories are how humans pass along information. It's not enough just to come in with statistics and numbers. You have to tell stories. Uh, people retain information better when you come in with a story. So storytelling is important. You have to get people to feel something. If you really want to go viral, you have to evoke a strong emotion. It can't be just neutral. Um, with Whether you're making them very sad, you're making them laugh, you're making them furious, which actually fury and anger has uh, the highest rate of going viral, um, which is sad, but it's true. The New York Times published a study about that a few years ago. Uh, but 
and and the other thing is, and, and this goes to the unique perspective and having a unique voice. I think if you can challenge an assumption, right? If if you can if you can uh, go against the grain in some way, is is that that's another way of thinking about it. So, I think of all the things I just kind of listed off going through them, I think probably the most important one is making people feel something, making them feel something strong. Uh, Charlie, I'm curious, uh, going back specifically to product or business launches um, and the early days, a lot of entrepreneurs, especially those that don't have much experience with marketing, they find themselves uh, doing a whole lot of things and potentially spending a whole lot of money, but not necessarily seeing uh, particular results that they want or not knowing where they should focus their time and how they can stay consistent with their marketing because consistency is so important. Uh, do you have any tips or techniques for how you've sort of figured out what marketing activities to focus on and how you've kept yourself accountable and consistent to uh, actually focusing on those things day in and day out? Yeah, it's a great question. I, you know, I try to think in terms of um, what, what is the objective here, right? If your objective is to sell 10,000 units of a product, um, maybe there's a way of doing that that's a lot more efficient than going through traditional marketing channels or, or doing content marketing or any of this stuff. Maybe the fastest path is to find a partner, a company that wants to buy 10,000 units or 10 companies that want to buy a thousand units. So I kind of try and start there. It's like, what is the one thing we're trying to accomplish? And do we even need to be focusing on the, the all the things that marketers tell us to, to do? Um, and then the next step would basically be, who is my audience? Where is this motivated audience of customers or potential clients that I'm trying to serve? Where are they most receptive to being marketed to and wanting to hear this solution? So um, have you guys ever heard the phrase, content is king, but context is God? No, I haven't heard that. I like that. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's it's a great thing, and I I try and keep it in mind as often as possible. And basically, it means like you can have the viral content, um, and and you can or or viral worthy content, but if the timing's not right for the audience you're trying to reach, if they're not receptive to your message at that point, if they're not actively looking for a solution right then and there, your marketing is going to fall flat. Right? So this is why certain marketing tends to work better on Google than it does on Facebook. Both platforms have their merits, of course, but one is actively searching for a solution. That is the context of which you use Google, while the other is sort of a passive entertainment realm, right? So any advertising, any marketing you do has to match the context of the audience that you're trying to reach. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, you really, and to have to, to be able to have that context, you, you have no choice but to deeply understand exactly who your target customer is 
down to as, as granular as you can possibly get. Uh, and you, again, goes back to the fact that you have to talk to them, not just in the early days, really, but all the time, um, even if your company is one, two or five years old. Uh, because the customer may change as well as your product changes. Uh, Charlie, I want a little bit of, of uh, your story to come out here as well. And and so I'm I'm curious because you've done so many cool things. I mean, you've published at least three books that I know of. You've been a keynote speaker. You've worked alongside uh, best-selling authors. You have your own podcast. Very busy guy. Um, do you have something or can you tell us about the one thing perhaps um, one professional accomplishment of yours that you're most proud of? It could have been during your time working with uh, with Tim Ferriss. It could have been your own personal uh, projects that you work on. But what do you, what would you say is the one professional accomplishment that you're most proud of is? Ooh, I don't think I've ever been asked this before. Love <laughs> so hearing this that. Is a, this is a challenge. Um, let me list two. So, First, I'll say the articles that I mentioned, actually, I'm, I'm really proud of because the the anxiety article has helped more people than I ever thought it would. And that's really meaningful to me. I've, I've heard from people who said it prevented them from committing suicide. I've heard from people who said they've been on high dose anxiety meds for 20 years and were able to get off. I've wow. heard from veterans who suffered from PTSD that said that methodology was the one thing that worked that got him through it. I've heard from addicts. I mean, you run the gamut, right? And or I've, I've heard from a lot of different people from all different walks of life all over the world who that made a positive impact on their life. And for that, I am so grateful that I shared that. Um, I, I really loved the and and at the time when it went viral it was a very stressful thing uh because i was like oh gosh this is such a sensitive topic but i'm so glad i wrote the article on the vegas shootings um because it introduced a perspective that i thought deserved some discussion and i heard from i heard from people who were in the columbine shootings who's um who's friends and uh, even their parents had been shot and murdered who thanked me for the article uh, because it was something that they believed in as well that didn't get very much attention in mainstream media. So I was, I was happy to introduce that. Um, I'll say the second one that I'm most proud of is actually related to speaking. I took improv for a few years uh, to, to not only because it's super fun and it was help, helpful to my mental state and emotional state, but also it made me a better public speaker. It kind of killed my fear of dying on stage or making a mistake. And I hit a point where I felt really good and, and confident on stage 90% of the time. And I had a scene where I, I was, I was in a um, a show that was on for six weeks. We were, it's going to sound silly, but it's true. Uh, we were doing improvised gothic horror, uh, which is a very dramatic but very funny type of genre. And I had this scene where I was playing two people at the same time. And I heard, and it was the first scene I ever had that just killed. And I got 
applause after the scene. Uh, it was just really funny. And um, I heard from a parent after the show that their four-year-old daughter had cried laughing watching that scene. And I think that was the proudest I'd felt maybe ever, you know, to, to make a little kid uh, cry laughing is like, you know, I teared up because you, it's such a nice thing to have done. And uh, you can't, you can't market out market kids. I mean, maybe, maybe toy companies would disagree with me, but that was, that was like pure, pure joy for me. Wow. That's, that's such a cool story. Thank you so much for, for sharing that. I, I want to point out that um, that the, both of your examples actually show that it's not the product itself of your work that made you proud. It's the result of how it impacted people's lives, even if it was that one girl who was crying, laughing, uh, or all of those people asking you about how to deal with anxiety. And that's that's huge. I when I speak to, um, you know, I actually a few months ago spoke to a group of eighth graders and they were just interested in, they hear about tech and startups. They don't really know what any of it means. But the one thing I told them is, you know, you don't have to worry about becoming a millionaire right now. Just start thinking about how can I be a creator? How can I create anything? Um, whether that's writing a play, writing a, a blog post, an article, a poem, a song, uh, you know, building some sort of a toy that you yourself want to play with out of parts. How can you start creating something? Because not only once you create something, first of all, people view you differently now because you can actually make something of nothing, which is an asset. Not everyone can do that. Um, but then the personal satisfaction that comes from that is better than any money that you can get. So, uh, so totally yeah. resonates. I completely agree with that advice. I love that you give that advice. And it's so... It's so important, I think, to nurture that. I, I think we've lost sight of what a, a successful career actually means, especially in the entrepreneurial realm where, you know, we have Steve Jobs, who's like the Silicon Valley Jesus, and uh, we have all these crazy success stories that we that we glamorize of, you know, Zuckerberg, he coded Facebook in a week in his dorm and blah, blah, blah. And now he's one of the wealthiest people in the world. I think wealth is, it's a nice indicator, but it's not an indicator of success. It's not the, the sole indicator of success, right? Back in the day, um, people, creators, all they wanted to do was just make a living, right? They, if they could get by, with a couple meals a day and being able to pay rent in a crappy apartment, they'd made it. They were getting to do their thing, right? And so I think it's unfortunate that there are a lot of entrepreneurs still who are, who are thinking in terms of, well, how can I make an exit? How can I get acquired when they're starting out? When really it should be more like, how can I find the the process that I want to be married to for life that I can get to go through ups and downs with that I get to enjoy the struggle you know so I for instance for for myself personally um, I have written books I don't consider myself an author I don't love the process I love the process of video 
I really enjoy it. And I love the struggle. I love the problem solving that comes with it. I've been doing that for over a decade. People don't know me for that as much as my other work and that's okay. But that's the thing that I really love. And that's the thing that I care about making a living with. The book stuff is just, like you said, it's a way to create. It's another way to deliver value to people. It's, you know, and I say the same thing to my students that are just starting off with entrepreneurship or their creative journey is you have to, you know, because part of what I teach them is ideation and coming up with, you know, figuring out what you want to work on. But whatever it is that you land on, it has to be something that will keep you motivated because, yeah, you might have some really cool moments that will come out of it uh, and you might get lucky and have runaway success. I mean, that does happen. But if you don't truly believe in what you're doing, if you don't truly enjoy the day-to-day uh, and then you will not be able to make it through the difficulties of uh, uh, trying to get your creation, whether it's entrepreneurship or anything, trying to get your creation to the world. Um, because there's a lot of noise out there now, and you know, even if you, if you, even if you write the best book in the world, it's still going to be uh, difficult. Which is why you have to go back to what you said earlier in our conversation: um, find people with whom your story is going to really, really resonate with, and are going to think that you're incredibly unique. So that's super important. Um, the the last question that I'm going to ask is something that we ask all our guests, and it's along the lines of the fact that, you know, it doesn't matter how uh, successful you are, whether it's your second or third company, or if you're just starting out and it's your first sort of entrepreneurial thing. Um, everybody that you talk to is always uh, has some kind of one big problem that they're facing that's top of mind. So. Uh, you're a creator. I'm sure you constantly have things that are going on. But for you personally, what would you say is the number one problem that you're trying to solve? And the reason I'm asking this is because, you know, this this podcast is called The Mentors. And so um, we like to have a discussion. Every entrepreneur or creator that we talk to, we typically talk through, okay, well, what are the problems? How can we help you solve them? So what's what's a big problem that's top of mind for you right now? Right now, a problem that I'm giving a lot of thought to is um, – how so I've, i i have a podcast as you guys uh mentioned um called author hour and with author hour it took me several months to get to the point where i'd really streamlined the workflow and automated a lot of it so i have all these things that happen automatically as soon as i've finished recording and uploaded it to dropbox you know it gets sent off to a company that handles the editing and the show notes and the transcription. And then it gets handed off to uh, another editor who reviews it and adds images. And, uh, and then that, once it goes live, it triggers automatically sending an email to the guests and giving them assets to promote and this sort of thing. And it does it all automatically. So the machine runs itself really well. Now I'm thinking in terms of how can I apply that to video? How can I automate this process as much as possible so I'm not the bottleneck. Basically, how can I build a system where I drag a file into a folder along with some instructions and it automatically gets handed off to the right editor who gets it done by the right date or it sends me the first cut by the right date. So I, I'm thinking in terms of systems, right? How can I set up these systems so I only have to do this part once or somebody else could come in and uh, figure out my system, even if I got, in, in the words of Shark, Shark Tank, hit by a bus. So, um, you know, one of the books that I love on, on this topic is the E-Myth 
revisited. And um, some, some people don't like that book because it, it talks about, oh, you know, you're dumbing things down to the point where, um, you know, you're, you can just plug any old cog into the machine. And to some extent, I agree. But to another, it, you kind of have to do that if you want to be a successful entrepreneur. You have to streamline your workflows on the things that are time consuming to you or that you don't need to be a part of. And uh, Zapier, Z-A-P-I-E-R, is a tool that allows you to do that. And um, it's just phenomenal. I've, I've used that coupled with um, Magic, getmagic.com. These are 24-7 virtual assistants who work for, I think, 59 cents a minute, uh, which comes out to roughly like $35 an hour. And they work pretty efficiently. They're native English speakers. So if you can couple those two things together, you can get a lot accomplished. Um, so that's, that's kind of what I'm focused on now. I'll give you uh, one company that I'm aware of. They're, they're not paying us to promote this at all. We usually don't mention too many products on the show. But, um, but these, uh, this is a company actually founded by a few Venture for America fellow, fellows out of Seattle. It's called Go Slope, G-O-S-L-O-P-E. Uh, I'm sure you haven't come across it because they're fairly young, but they're starting to close some pretty big deals. And it, it essentially helps with project management, specifically with content creation. They started off doing video because before that they had a video company and they faced a lot of pain with collaborating with people on video and automating some of those tasks. Yeah, so, it's a pain. Yeah, so maybe that, that tool could help you. Um, you know, you cool. And I was curious, you mentioned, uh, of course, it's, it's such a, like you said, a big cultural problem that play is not encouraged and there's probably structural issues at play no pun intended there uh, that yeah, uh, that yeah. cause it but have you come across perhaps other uh cultures you know, other countries that are better at it and do you have any maybe oh, yeah. hints as to why they might be better at uh playing more in their lives yeah yeah it's a great question so finland is kind of known as uh one of the benchmarks for education in the world um they they are ranked as the top in education and yet they don't give kids homework until they're like 14 years old they have two hours of recess every day all the way through high school i believe they pay their teachers as well as, um, relatively speaking, almost as well as doctors. You know, they don't give them the United States doctor salary, but the, the wages that they pay teachers means they attract some of the best talent and they expect some of the best uh, service. So they, they have different, um, you know, a different culture, but Scandinavia tends to do things really well. They also have a lot of things that are different, obviously, culturally. It's, it's a lot more homogenized uh, than ours. So they, they, the, the income gap isn't super wide. Everyone's, relatively speaking, much, much more equal. Um, there's the taxes to their infrastructure, that sort of thing. In the United States, we had some things, I think, kind of go wrong in the past. Uh, no, no child left behind or what was it? No student left behind uh, ended up being something that hurt us. Um, we had, uh, you know, what was that marketing campaign in the 80s? It's 10 o'clock. Where are your children? <laughs> or do you know where your children are? Um, we, we have a culture of parents 
who effectively shame each other uh, for not over-parenting. And that's a real problem because you've raised a really anxious generation of kids who their parents are so enmeshed in their child's lives that the children um, grow up to be dependent adults. Uh, they're, they're not actually leaders themselves. They don't grab autonomy for their lives. And uh, the parents think they're doing a disservice. They feel guilt and shame if they're not all up in their kids' business and controlling their lives. And uh, this, uh, I mean, how old are you guys? Uh, where, where were your age? We're, we're 32. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Almost 32? Yep. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, uh, if, if you haven't dealt with it yourselves, I'm sure you can think of people <laughs> that you know who've dealt with it, right, uh, in watching how their parents interact with them. And um, I think what, what ends up happening is you raise, if, if you raise kids, in a way, and this is a fault of our schooling as well, I think, where if you raise kids in a way where um, they have to prove themselves to get love from the parent, if they have to do, uh, if they have to perform well in school in order to get love from their parents, uh, it develops an anxious attachment um, and they no longer view the world as a playground. Uh, they view it, in the words of my friend Gwen Gordon, as a proving ground where they ha constantly have to prove themselves. And a lot of people go through their entire lives constantly proving themselves to parents, right? Even if the parents are no longer there, it just becomes this script that runs in the background. So um, it's frustrating, uh, but I think it's something that, you know, over time will erode and start to correct itself, but we, it's, it's a huge problem. Uh, and I think it's one of those things that limits us in ways that we don't actually see, right? If you have a bunch of kids turning into adults that aren't really independent, happy, playful adults, but are in, instead stressed and constantly trying to level up to get the love that they think they're going to get. And this is super common in very successful entrepreneurs as well. It's often a driving force to their success. Um, then it, it just hinders us in ways that are just not, not super healthy. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And by the way, you sound like a great father. Um, but I think you're helping a lot with the content that you've put out. So, so thanks a lot for the books that you write, the articles that you write, and looking forward to seeing more of that uh, in the future as well. We really appreciate your time. Thank you for sharing your insight with us uh, and our audience, of course. Uh, and actually, uh, Sergey is coming over my apartment uh, in about half hour, and we're going to play uh, instruments. We're musicians as well, so he's going to pick up awesome. the guitar. I got a piano, and it's going to be a good way to unwind and then do some more brainstorming um, for our podcast. So we totally agree with your Excellent. concept. <laughs> awesome. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for the kind words, and it was an honor being a guest on the show. You guys keep doing the work you're doing. It's, it's, uh, it's really meaningful and impactful, so thanks for doing what you do as well. Really appreciate it, Charlie. Thanks a lot for your time.